want to ask you a question. What would it look like? And I've asked this before. What would it look like if the Church of Acts were here on this earth? And I'm talking. I'm not, I'm not talking about the Church of Acts after Acts chapter two. I'm talking about the Church of Acts from the ascension of Christ in between, before that power came. What did they look like? Right? What did they look like? I think you had all the elements that the Scripture says are in a healthy church. Right? You have where the older People mentor the younger people. They bring stability to the church. You have the younger people hungry. And they bring energy to the church. What would that look like today? What kind of power would God work through that church today? I want you to look around. That's what it looks like. Because that's what he has done in us. I, 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 one of my favorite times is worship because the Lord speaks so strongly to me during the worship. And he wanted me to look out and just look at faces. Just look at the intensity in which they worship. Just look at the intensity in which they're hungry. That they want him. He was just so pleased. He's just looking down at us and seeing the hunger in our faces. And he just, I, I can't say that this was him saying it to me, but I was saying it to him. So we're ready. We're ready, Lord. We're ready for that Acts chapter 2. Okay, we're, we're to where you need us to be. We're hungry. We're desperately wanting you. We're hungry for you. And we want everything that you have for us. And it doesn't matter the age. You know, during worship, Tegan was up here, and I, I love that little Tegan is learning the computer and, and, and how to, to do the, the pro presenter on the computer. How old is she? She's like... She'll be nine. She'll be nine, and she's learning pro presenter on the computer. That's not what struck me. What struck me is she's doing the computer, doing pro presenter, and singing so loud. And it was awesome. It was awesome. I had the joy of just standing next to her and just soaking that in because she's hungry. And she's not even nine years old yet, and she's hungry. But it's not that she's just hungry and not being poured into. She's hungry and being fed. See, that is the Church of Acts. That's the Church of Acts. That's the healthy church that God wants to see in his bride. It's where the youth are filled, are led, and then the youth bring the energy the vibrancy of the church. I, I, I look over our church and, and, you know, I mean, it's pretty obvious. We're 75% young people, right? I consider myself a young person. <laughs> I'm kidding. We're mostly young people here, which is awesome because there's a driving force of energy behind that. But I look at our established people. How's that? You like that word? I look at our established people. That, that's the group I'm a part of now. And I look at the strength. I look at the mentorship. I look at the desire not just for them to seek the Lord and to receive from Him, but for them to pour it out to their young people. Not, not even just theirs, but any who come around. See, that's family. That's extraordinary. And I, I just felt so incredibly 
excited. I just kept telling the Lord, we're ready. We're ready for Acts chapter 2. Because the only thing missing in quantity is his power that he has promised. His power that he has promised that manifests in Acts chapter 2. But that's up to him. We could be hungry for that. But that's not our responsibility. Our responsibility is to do what we are doing. To be hungry. To be in love with him. To be in love with each other. And it also just hit me so hard how we're about to go into a significant week. This creation week. And we've talked about this. We've talked about what Ignition is called to do and stepping up to do. We were asked to, to, to be the majority of the prayer team there at creation. We're preparing for some amazing, amazing things because God is at work there. But that's not what struck me during worship. It wasn't what he's going to do there per se. What struck me and what the Lord told me is this church here, right here, this church is a prayer-warring church. And it is from the power of that prayer, the power of that warring, that the very thing that we want to see happen at creation will come to pass. And by the way, it's not the people that are going. Because if you've been before or when you go, you're going to see that basically you have enough time to keep your head forward and move on to what you need to be doing. The power of that breakthrough is going to come from those who are back here that are focused on that prayer. Just like Nigeria. Oh my goodness, Nigeria is exploding. And I I know I say this every week, but every week's a new explosion. You know, last night they had had another, they're doing the Jesus film twice a week now. They had it last night, there were 250 people there. 75 people got saved. 75 people. It's extraordinary. As a matter of fact, now it's, it's becoming an issue that, that, okay, Lord, we really need to follow up. Now, we're working with the local churches there. But we're wanting to set up this discipleship center, this training center. And I, I apologize. I don't like the word discipleship. Is that, like, unchristian of me? I don't know. Anybody with me on that? I just don't like that word discipleship. I love what it means. So, so I didn't bring them because I misspelled something. I had to reorder them. But, uh, <laughs> but, but I have these two banners that were taken to, to creation because we're doing the passion intensive there at creation. And, and yes, I misspelled religion. But I was thinking French. It was religion. So, yeah, it worked for me, but apparently it didn't work for Brendan because he walked in and immediately noticed my error. <laughs> No, which was awesome because I had time to reorder. But now I just forgot what I was saying. But when when we do the passion intensive, you know, it is this this discipleship that we have renamed on this banner relationship training. Okay, I know the world kind of thinks of that as marital training or whatever, but in reality, godly relationship training is what. He wants between us and him through Jesus Christ, between us and a spouse, between us and kids, between us and friends, between us and family members in the church. That same relationship training applies to every relationship we have. And we need to be able to do that in Nigeria. So our our goal, and and for those prayer warriors, I want to put this in, in your mind, our goal is to have purchased our first plot of land, and begin building by the end of the year. By the end of the year. We're going to be talking over the next month or so, a couple of months, we're going to be talking to some people that we have expectation that will be involved with this financially. And and I'm very excited for who God is going to put together with that. Because Nigeria is ready. 
We're seeing on average 150 people saved a week. That's extraordinary. And in that, there has to be this relationship training. Because you can, you can have salvations and not really get anywhere with growth. You know, in Nigeria alone, in the last 10 years, there's been 59 million salvations. And that's just through one evangelist. 59 million. The thing that's amazing to me is he, he's done his job, but the church has not in the follow-up. Because if all of those, if, if even 10% of those were trained relationally, Nigeria would be a different place. Completely. Imagine that in the U.S. We have the same problem in the U.S., Churches are so hung up on, on building some massive church. You know, these programs that, yes, they're helpful, and you can glean good information from them, but the problem is, unless you take people by the hand and spend time individually training them, it doesn't have the same impact. See, Jesus didn't, come and start his ministry and, and raise up a building and start inviting people in, did he? No. In fact, what he did, he chose 12. He said, I'm going to pour into you. Follow me, and I'm going to teach you how to be fishers of men. Because that, that's not an automatic thing. What does it mean to be fishers of men? It means to be able to be relational to them. You don't listen to somebody you can't relate to, right? So you have to learn how to relate to people. We have to learn how to relate with each other. I, I love, too, because we have so much diversity in our church here. So much diversity from, from many different countries. Our prayer leader wasn't born in the U.S., right? She barely speaks English. Been here 40 years. <laughs> I love the diversity, but you have to learn to relate to one another. That's why when the common denominator is Jesus Christ, and that relationship training circles around him and his power in our hearts, it becomes extraordinary. Just extraordinary. So be thankful for what God is building here and has built here at Ignition. Because we are ready. And there's coming a moment. I don't know when. That's the frustrating part. God will never tell me when. But there's coming a moment when his spirit will fall heavy upon us. Just like they did in the book of Acts. Just like they did. He's promised it. We await for it. We're hungry for it. We do everything we can to be prepared for it which is simply relate, simply love. Fall in love with each other. Be in love with Jesus Christ and just wait. That's what they were doing in the upper room. You wonder, imagine, they, we at least can read Acts 2 and kind of know what happens. They had no idea. They had no idea. All they knew is their, their Savior, their Messiah, just left. You know, they knew he was alive because because he showed himself, was with them for 40 days, and then, then now he's gone again. Their leader is gone. You can imagine how they must have felt. But yet, they gathered together. They were together the entire time. When Jesus said, stay here in Jerusalem, because something's about to happen, they stayed together. They, they related together. They worshipped, and they were filled with hope. Are you filled with hope? Do you see what God wants to do in your life? Do you see what he wants to do in your part in this family? Do you have hope? If you don't have hope, let's set up a time to talk. Because <laughs> Jesus has given us so much hope. So much of what he wants to do. It's, it's just extraordinary. So be thankful for what he's doing in us. Turn to Colossians chapter 2. We're going to continue on. And, and remember 
the last couple weeks in this theme that's been developing in Colossians. This theme is Paul saying, look out for those who have these flowery arguments that will deceive you in directions that seem easy, right? Plausible arguments, arguments that make sense. You know, how, how in the world somebody believes in evolution is beyond me. But clearly, it makes sense to many who believe it. Now, maybe not as much now as it is. She said, no way. <laughs> right? Maybe not as much now. I, I think it's been debunked so much. Even in science, you're having people begin to come out and say, there's no way. Right? But plausible arguments are what helped people to believe because it seemed easy. And, and see, in our natural bodies... Our natural flesh does not want to believe in God. Our natural flesh wants to believe in something that we can control. So that, that's why these plausible arguments are so powerful. That's why it makes sense to, to think, well, you know, I should be going to work. You know, I, I have this chance to, to make this amount of money. I just got to give up a Sunday. See, that's a plausible argument. It makes sense because, see, I've got to make the bills. I've got to pay my bills. I've got to make the mortgage. I've got to do whatever. That's a plausible argument. But see, what it rips you from is that relationship with others, which is what Satan does all the time. Satan, what? He separates and isolates. That's him. That, if, if, if you could take Satan's strategy and narrow it down into the simplest form, it's exactly that. He will always try and separate you first because, see, there's power in numbers. He will separate you first. And once he has you separated, even in a real simple thing of, I just, I just got to take about a month break because I got to make this money or I got to do this or I got to do that because it's going to make my life so much better. That is separation. And then he begins to work. And isolate. See, the, lot, the isolation is really, the separation is from the power in numbers, the power of the bride. The isolation is separation from God. When you're separated already, he begins to isolate you from the things of God. It could be through temptation. It could be through, well, I have to. I have no choice. I have to. You know, he could do it a million ways, but that's what he does. He separates, and then he isolates. So this theme that's building in Colossians is to be aware of those things. Be aware of those arguments. Be aware that it's not people trying to pull you away. It's Satan through people trying to pull you away, right? So Acts, uh, Acts. Colossians chapter 2 that's what we've, we've kind of gone through up through the beginning of chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 6. Verse 6 says this, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. I want to stop there for a second. As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in him. How did you receive him? Did you receive him with eagerness? You, you certainly received him freely. Walk in the same expectation that you had when you received him in the first place. See, I expect a freedom in him. Why? Because he, he, he sets me free. He, Jesus Christ, is the truth. The Bible says he is the truth. What does the truth do? The truth sets me free. Because freedom from what? Freedom to do what I want to do? That's not real freedom. Because what is the bondage that we're set free from? It's the bondage of sin. 
It's the bondage of our own having to control our lives, which seems good. You know, let me know how it works for you. Usually it doesn't work out so well. That's what we're set free from. We're set free from this bondage of sin. So when we get saved, Jesus takes this cloak, this filter of his blood, and he lays it over you. So the Father, when he looks at you, he sees Jesus Christ in you and sees perfection in you. When you get saved, that is given freely. So he said, as you received Jesus Christ... You received him freely. Walk in him. So see, there's a difference there. There's a a greater responsibility there. It's not just about being saved, and now I am covered in the blood of the Lamb, and I don't need to worry about anything else. Because, yes, that is true for going to heaven. There is nothing more you need to do to go to heaven than to accept Jesus Christ as Savior Believing in who he is and what he did in becoming a man. All you have to do. He did everything. It's a free gift. You receive that freely. That's what he said. As you received. But then he said there's more. There's more. As you received that freely. Now walk in him. See walking's different than salvation. Bible calls it sanctification. The walk that we have in Jesus Christ is our relationship with him. So he says, walk in the same way as you received him. Walk in that freedom. Walk in that expectation. Walk in that giving up of yourself to say, I want you. I give you control of my life. When you're accepting Jesus Christ as Savior, you're literally taking the spirit part of who you are. Okay, remember, we're spirit, we're body, and we're soul. Our soul is our mind. All right, we're those three things, and we're literally giving our spirit or control of our spirit to Jesus Christ. When we accept him as Savior, we are giving him our spirit. Lord, come into my heart. I accept you as the Messiah. I ask that you come into my heart and save me. Become my my Savior. I am giving him my spirit. That's a one-time thing. One and done. All you have to do. Amen. Did you hear that? I think she said amen. That's all you have to do. But then to walk in him, you have to make that same decision every day. Every day. Today, Lord, I wake up. Today, I give you my yes. You pray in the morning and say, Lord, I recognize that I need you today. I give you my yes today. As I receive you freely, I want to walk in you freely. I give you control of my life today. That's what he means when he says, walk in him that same way. Rooted, built up in him, established in the faith. Not just believing in salvation, but believing in relationship. Believing in this connection that he wants, this ongoing connection between you and him. So as you were taught that, believe in that. It says, as you were taught, and then abounding in thanksgiving. Are you thankful? Are you thankful? Man, sometimes it's tough to be thankful. Because we're so thinking in just these pigeonholed terms. Right? It, right? It's like we're, we have tunnel vision in something that we're either working on or something that needs to change. And we forget all the things that he's done. He said, don't forget the thanksgiving. Always be thankful for what he has done in your life. Imagine your life right now. doesn't matter how old you are. Imagine your life if you had never accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. And I'm not just talking about going to heaven. I mean, because we're not dead yet. I'm talking about life. 
I'm talking about where you would be without hope. Where you would be in falling to these plausible arguments that make sense. You know, I was watching on TV. Oh, good night. I used to like him as a wrestler, but uh, what's, what's his name? Uh, used to be the Minnesota governor. Jesse Ventura. Jesse Ventura. I liked him as a wrestler. Well, it wasn't real wrestling, but you know, you know what I mean. But he, he's on TV yesterday, and, and he's pushing this thing. Apparently, he wrote a book about marijuana or whatever. He's pushing this thing about, you know, accepting marijuana throughout the country and how good it's been for this and how good it's been for that and everything else. And, and he makes plausible arguments. He said, look at Colorado. Colorado has had an increase in, in their, their uh, revenues, and I can't remember what it was. It's some ridiculous thing like 15% or 20% or whatever it was, saying, look how good this is. Do you see that? That's how Satan works. Now, if you had not accepted Jesus Christ, you wouldn't have any foundation to be able to see beyond that. Because Satan loves it when we're short-sighted. Oh man, 20% more. Who in here would like to make 20% more? Yeah, everybody. If you don't have your hand raised, you're asleep and your neighbor needs to just nudge them. Everybody would like to make 20% more. What if I told you, okay, start selling marijuana and you'll make 20% more? Okay, now, what if I then started saying all these things that would be helpful to you in that? See, do you see? There are ways that Satan begins to tell you things, tell the world things, that makes it look good for them, but it really separates them further from Jesus Christ. Right? This, this whole argument about, and this one drives me nuts, this whole argument of separation of church and state. You know, I'm no history buff, okay? But these... these you know, country leaders need to, need to go back and really understand what that meant. It wasn't separation like, well, the church is not supposed to be part of the state. That was never what it was supposed to be. Okay, because that's what they left. It was supposed to be that the church would never be encumbered by the state. The reason they left England, the reason my 10th generation or 11th generation back grandfather came over here from Wales was because they wanted religious freedom. They wanted to be able to worship without the government saying, here's how you worship. So how in the world did we get that wrong? Plausible arguments. Well, wait a second. You have the same right that you have and over here, you have this right to believe this and this and this. And yes, that's correct. We all have choice. But don't let it ever tell you that that means both could be right. Because there is only one God. And there is only one God who is to be worshipped. And there is only one way to heaven. And it is belief in that God. And accepting that God, Jesus Christ, into your heart. So the way you have to look at these other religions, if you will, or these other people that have ideas that, well, they need to have the same ground. It's almost like Christians look at that and, well, I'll just be at arm's distance because I know I'm supposed to love and, and I'm supposed to care for them. And, and so I, I don't want to come against what they believe and make them feel bad. How about looking at it a different way? How about looking at the fact that they don't even realize, because they have fallen to these plausible arguments, they don't even realize their destiny. They don't even realize not only their personal destiny, but where they're taking this country, where they're taking the people around them. See, the church needs to step up. We've lost what we had in this country because the church wouldn't step up. I think it started because of this plausible argument of not arguing. <laughs> right? And when we had that, well, we don't want to make people feel bad. 
know, that's kind of the same thing that happened with, with the participation trophy. Right? I won't get into that, because some people may like that. To me, it's a worthless trophy. It doesn't make sense. There's nothing that is accomplished without effort. There's nothing that is accomplished without stepping out of the boat. You know, we watched that the movie The Shack a few, few Tuesdays ago, and when Jesus walked out to him on the water and he said, okay, it's time. Mac, take my hand. It's time for you to step out of the boat. You know, there's a lot that goes on when you take that step. You are literally saying, I am willing to walk with you. Why? Because Jesus isn't in the boat. You want to walk with Jesus, you better step out of the boat. You've got to step out of the boat and trust him. Because that's where his amazing power and that's where that amazing relationship is. It's outside the boat. Verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. According to human tradition. According to the elemental spirits of this world and not according to Christ. For in him... The whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. So this is the third time now in just over two chapters. Paul says, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived by these plausible arguments. Don't be taken captive by a philosophy that's empty. That is empty, that there's no power there, there's no life there. Don't fall into this trap of believing something that will get you nowhere. He's saying, walk in Jesus Christ. And he said, by the way, in Jesus Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Do you know what that means? That means Jesus became a man. And he did not stop being a man when he went to heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father, to be our advocate. He remained a man. He is 100% God, and he is 100% man. See, he had to be a man to come to the, for us to come to the understanding of relationship with him. I love that part of the movie, too, and I, I'm sorry I keep talking about the movie. I love the part of the movie where, where Mac is sitting with Jesus, and he goes, I don't know what it, what it is. I, I, just, I just feel better around you. I can understand you. you, you know, I, I feel more comfortable with you talking to Jesus you know, versus the Holy Spirit and the Father. And Jesus said, well, that's probably because I'm just like you. See, Jesus Christ the Son of God, by choice, became as we are, became a man, not born into sin as we are, because he was born of the Holy Spirit, but he was born into the same parameters that we are. He had to be taught obedience, the Bible says. He had to be taught faith. He had to be taught who he was, he was the Son of God. He had to believe that by faith. So, so it says here, the full, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. That's in Jesus Christ. So he says, says, why would you listen to the elemental spirits of the world? Why would you listen to these deceits which, which are produced by the elemental spirits of this world, the, the, the spirits that are in charge of floating this deceit all over the country, all over the world? Why would you listen to them when you have bodily God? Why would you choose to listen to anything else but God? Because he by choice came and became like you to be able to relate and you relate to him. Why would you listen to anything else? Why would you put yourself in a place of being captive by these worldly philosophies? You know, the, world needs to, or the church needs to stand up. 
The church needs to change because when we don't stand up to these philosophies, then we see the bride where she is today. It hurts our world. It hurts our nation. You look at where our nation is now, even even in things that aren't religious, but you look at how our world is, or how our country is now economically and and in safety and all these things. Everything is affected when the bride does not stand up. When the bride does not believe in the in Jesus Christ who dwells in physical form. God who dwells in physical form. Verse 10. And you have been filled in him, Jesus Christ, who is the head of all rule and authority. He says, by the way, those elemental spirits of the world. Okay, Jesus has authority over all of them. He's the head and rule of all authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Jesus Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the power working of God who raised him from the dead. This is a picture, and really that's what baptism is. Baptism is not salvation, by the way. You do not get saved because you are baptized. All right? Baptism is a symbol of what happens at salvation. Literally, what happens at salvation is you are placed under the blood of Jesus Christ, right? Buried in that sin, and you're raised in what? Said faith. You're raised in faith. You're given a portion of faith. When you accept Jesus Christ, you're given a portion of faith to build upon, to build that relationship upon. And let's, uh, let me start back at 13 again. And you who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made him alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. How did he do that? He did it by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with all its legal demands. This he set aside and nailed it to the cross. See, what Paul's talking about here is the Jewish law. The Jewish law had become so different than even what God had placed in Leviticus. Because they were doing it from a religious standpoint. You know, you could do things from a religious standpoint and it just not really do anything for you. We do communion. We do communion at the beginning of every month, right? Right? You can do communion religiously, and about the only thing you're going to get is if there's any, I don't know, good ingredients in the grape juice, I suppose. You could do it religiously, and it hurt you, or you can do it with faith, and it be one of the most beautiful, intimate things that you can do in your relationship with Jesus Christ. See, it's a matter of, of perspective because God took all those ordinances that had to be done in the Old Testament that had to be done for the forgiveness of sin he took those and he nailed it to the cross right? he nailed it to the cross kind of like kind of like uh, uh, Martin Luther did in the Reformation he went up to the front door of the church and he nailed you know his his uh, reforming ideas there Jesus nailed to the cross the idea of the law because he fulfilled it. He perfected it. He completed it. So then we are not held to that standard any longer because no one could. That was proven all throughout the Old Testament. 4,000 years, no one was able to stand up to the constraints of the law. That's why Jesus Christ had to come. Because, see, a man had to do it. It couldn't be God that did it for him. It had to be a man. It had to be in the same flesh that we are. 
and yet live this perfect life. So he said he canceled in that one act of being on the cross. He canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. You know, what happens when you break the law? They're legal demands, right? You know, if you, if you steal something, they're going to make you pay it back if you get caught, or you're going to spend time in jail. There are legal demands on doing something. That's what it was for breaking the law, God's law. And he took care of that on the cross. He canceled the expectation of that law. Boy, it's, it's such a different way of looking at things. You know, how, how many in here are a half-glass empty person? I know nobody admitted it, even if you were. How many are a half-glass full person? Okay, all those who did not raise your hand. <laughs> Do you understand? It's just... <laughs> what? It's full of something always. It's full of something, yes. There you go. That's, that's good. I like that. Mine's full and overflowing. Do you see it's about perspective? The half glass, glass being half full versus half empty doesn't change the status of it. It's the perception of it. Right? That's what Jesus also did on the cross. He changed the ability of our perception. See, we don't have to look at ourselves as sin any longer. It doesn't change the fact that we are sinful flesh. Right? But we don't have to look at it that way. Why? Because it was nailed to the cross. The Father doesn't look at it that way. He looks at us as perfect. Now, obviously we're not, right? So, okay, wait a second. Does that mean I can do whatever I want? No. Because that relationship that we pursue, that relationship has to be a, a like a co-understanding. Right? The, the, if, you, if you develop a best friend, or, or for any of you who are married and stuff like that, you cannot have things between you and expect your relationship to be good. Okay? Does that mean you're a bad person? No. It just means that you have things in your life that are causing that relationship not to work or not to work properly. It's the same with Jesus Christ. See, the Father looks at us as perfect. But when we allow sin into our lives, that sin comes between us and Jesus Christ in relationship. It doesn't change our status, but it changes our joy. It changes all the fruits of the Spirit. It changes the very direction that we go. That's why it's important that we seek Him in forgiveness. We seek Him to fill us so the elemental spirits of this world can't get into our mind and deceive, right? Verse 15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing, by triumphing over them in him. Very simply put, Jesus did it all on the cross. Jesus did everything on the cross. He not only bought your life, he bought your relationship. He opened that door for you to just seek him, for you to have joy in him. Do we take advantage of that? Do you take advantage of that opportunity? So, it, Man, so many times I, I talk to people and, and they, they just so badly you know, want a relationship or want this or want friends or want that. And yet they don't understand what is available to them in Jesus Christ. So much of the, and I know, I, I'm kind of preaching to the choir here. I know, I know Ignition's very different when it comes to this. But don't let what happens here cover your seeing to what happens out there. Because there are people that know the Lord in churches all throughout this world that don't understand closeness, don't understand a relationship. They understand religion, and they understand salvation, 
and they understand the knowledge of the word, but they don't understand the relationship of the word. You know, you can read a passage and you can understand what is being said to be done. But unless you have relationship, unless you're looking at it through the, through the lens of Jesus Christ in relationship, you can't understand what he's really going for here. See, he doesn't want you to just stop sinning. Just stop sinning and it'll be better. It'll just all be better. That's not what he wants. That's putting the cart before the horse. What he's saying is, I want relationship with you. Because I know when we have that, you won't want to do that. Because you'll know what it does. You'll know the cost of that relationship when, when these other things are more important. So that's why we, Matthew 6.33, everything. We seek him. We seek him in relationship. Seek him where he's at. Seek him in everything. He takes care of the rest. That includes sin. Now, I'm not, I'm not any different than anybody here. You know, at different times growing up and as an adult, you get focused on how do I improve my life? How do I improve my joy? How do I improve who I am? And for years and years and years, it was, okay, well, I need to do this, okay. Well, Lord, I, I promise I will read my Bible every day. He doesn't want that. I mean, I'm not saying he doesn't want you to read the Bible every day, but he doesn't want you to do it out of, out of obligation. If I was a friend of yours and we had a relationship and, and we met every Monday and you knew that I just came out of obligation, I didn't really care. I just know, you know, there's something in this for me, so I'm going to go. How would that make you feel? First of all, you're not going to want to pour out everything to me. You're not, wanting, you're not going to want to give me the intimate places of who you are. So why do we assume that with Jesus? See, it works both ways. Jesus is a man. He's human. Okay, 100% God, 100% man. But he is still in human flesh as we are in his glorified body. So his reactions are going to be the same in terms of hurt. The Bible says he's hurt when I sin. It's not that he's just some benevolent God and he turns away, okay, I'm just not going to pay attention till they're done. No, it hurts. It hurts. Why? Because he gave his life for it. The Father gave his only Son for it. To cover it so we don't have to. So in relationship that you're building with him, you read your Bible because you want to. You read your Bible because there's something in there that he's speaking to you about. i never forget how I became hungry for the word of God. Because it used to be, I, I wanted to know the word of God to have this knowledge. I started teaching the word of God at, I want to say I was 25 or 24, somewhere around there. I started teaching in Sunday school, adult Sunday school. Started teaching, and I, I took so much pride in that. I remember it took me almost two years. And this is just... Now it would probably take me longer, but it took me almost two years to get through the first six chapters of Genesis in teaching because there was so much in there, so many layers. And the sad thing is I took pride in that. Oh, well, I know a whole lot about that now. I spent hours and hours and hours, hundreds of hours studying it. Where'd it get me? Except for the fact that the Word of God is promised to never return void. That's the only thing I got out of it. The knowledge did nothing for me. It didn't keep away those plausible arguments of me living for myself. It wasn't until I prayed, Lord, there's more. There's more than what I know. 
There's more than just the knowledge of you. There's more here, and I want it. I want it. I don't even know how to get it, God, but I want it. I know it's somehow wrapped around your love. Teach me, Lord. And it wasn't until that point that that the scriptures took on a different meaning to me. It wasn't about knowledge anymore. It was about understanding. It wasn't about being able to quote what this meant. It was being about being able to show what this meant. See, because I could say something and it holds no weight. But I could let the Lord show it in my life and it holds complete weight. Because that's him, not me. That's what the world needs. That's what the bride needs. I don't know about you. I, I, you know, we've been in, I've been in church my whole life. Grew up in church, grew up in Christian school. You know, we've, we've been ever since, ever since maybe the second year of our, our marriage, Alex and I have been in some form of church leadership. So I understand what the bride is like on the outside, whatever you want to call it. They're searching. The bride doesn't even understand what it means to be intimate with the Lord, to have this hunger and passion for him. And we have it because we're learning it. So you need to take it outside of this place. You need to take it outside of this room. You need to understand that there are people desperately in need of it. Desperately in need. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you. We praise you, God. You are so good. And Lord, as we come before you, we pray that this idea of being prepared, this idea of protection from what the world has, or even even what Satan has done, even in the bride, in this religious spirit, protect us from that, God, because you have called us to show something different. I thank you, Lord, as we prayed at the, as we spoke at the beginning. I thank you for what you're doing in this church and what you've done in this family. But Lord, it's time. It's time to take that beyond these walls. We declare that, Lord. We give you our yes to take it beyond these walls. We give you our yes to take it to creation this week. We give you our yes to take it into our relationships outside of this local body. We're hungry, Lord. We ask, Father, that you couple our hunger with your power. We love you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I hope that those who are not going to be